Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's event. My name is Will Pomeranz, and I'm Deputy Director of the Kennett Institute, and we're pleased to have a very distinguished panel to talk about Ukrainian local elections. Uh, before I get started, I just want to remind you that you can follow uh, the activities of the Kennan Institute by looking at our website and focusing on our upcoming events. I also want to remind the audience that we will have plenty of time for questions. So if you want to ask a question for our guests, you can submit it by email to kennan at wilsoncenter.org, via Twitter, or on our Facebook page. Um, please include your name and affiliation when sending your questions. Well, today we're going to talk about regional elections, but we're also going to have a caveat because events move on. But we're focusing on the regional elections because the reform of local government began in 2015 as one of the major demands of the Euromaidan. Since then, the key achievement of decentralization policy was the empowerment of local communities through merging local districts. Uh, in July 2020, the RADA radically decreased the number of local administrations, and they have now just undergone these elections. So we're going to have our distinguished panelists discuss the results of the local elections, who now, uh, who now governs these reform localities, and what the consequences of the elections might be on local reforms in the near future. However, as I mentioned, events move on, um, and the focus of, on Ukraine has in many ways moved from these elections to the current constitutional crisis. And I think that we need to address this constitutional crisis on this panel um, in the context of where Ukraine is going, uh, what the controversy is, and ultimately how it will affect regional and national politics. So I'm sure all of you are aware of the Ukrainian Constitutional Court's decision uh, to declare unconstitutional the provision of the Criminal Code of Ukraine that provides for punishment for inaccurate declaration of assets. Uh, this has sparked a huge controversy um, and has ultimately led to uh, President Zelensky proposing on October 30th, the bill uh, on renewal of confidence in constitutional judiciary, which proposes to terminate the powers of judges of the constitutional court. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin with a brief update as to the state of this constitutional crisis, and then move on to the impact of these regional elections. And so our first speaker will be Dr. Mikhailo Minikov, uh, who will talk about this ongoing constitutional crisis. Uh, he is the Kennan Institute Senior Advisor on Ukraine and Editor-in-Chief of Focus Ukraine, the Kennan Institute's Ukraine-focused blog. Uh, he defended his doctoral dissertation at the Kiev Institute of Philosophy in 2007. Uh, his main research interest is in political modernization in Eastern Europe, theories and practices of revolution, political imagination, and ideologies. So we're going to begin with uh, Misha, and then I'll introduce the other two speakers when I introduce them later on in the program. So, Mikhaila, floor is yours. Thank you, Will. Well, uh, we are currently in a situation of combined political and constitutional crisis with certain unforeseeable consequences. So on 25th November, the local elections in all local and regional governments 
old and new for testing the, how, how prepared is administrative territorial system. In a way, it was a stress test for entire administrative territorial system created between 2015 and today. But also, these elections were testing the new electoral system based on new electoral code that was reformed a little bit also last summer. So we didn't give up the rule that we change uh, rules, electoral rules before the elections. We also were testing new political regime that was established a year ago, and that was based on electoral success of a very popular personality. So will the Zelensky effect prevail in, in Ukrainian elections? That was also at stake. Uh, and as uh, OSCE or DEER Commission uh, uh, reported, they recognized elections as free and fair, but with certain violations. And one of the biggest violations is connected to the presidential initiative of the so-called five questions. The, the, the very initiative uh, was announced just a few weeks before elections. It was a presidential initiative and the questions were really strange. I will not uh, recall them right now here, but approximately uh, 55 polling stations were having those, uh, those people who were doing the questioning. And there, there is a different result to the question. But today, we do not know how representative can these answers be to all the five questions that president asked the nation. But at the same time, as OECE monitors uh, mentioned, uh, this can be regarded as a political trick to motivate supporters and promote a presidential party during the vote day. So in a way here, the, the, the beginning of certain controversy started. Also, uh, the, the results of elections, which we do not know up until today, 10 days later, uh, there were like early results, discussions and uh, opposition and journalists had a very strong voice saying that president has actually lost his charisma, lost his aura of victor in elections. However, all these debates ceased to exist on October 27, right after elections, when the Constitutional Court of Ukraine has announced its decision that some norms of the law on corruption prevention and criminal court code contradict Ukrainian constitution. And well, the, the principle uh, here is that executive institutes have the right to control judiciary through these laws and norms. Uh, it's more and more evidence today that the decision of the Constitutional Court was actually ready in early October, but they postponed announcement up until after elections. So they, they didn't want to add uh, the, the political de debate before the elections. These decisions were expected by legal communities since the anti-corruption draft laws were followed by very critical assessments of the RADA's legal experts in the phase of parliamentary review. However, the RADA MPs did not pay attention to these warnings. So certain norms were regarded as not entirely constitutional or contradictory uh, by the uh, parliamentary experts themselves. Finally, two judges out of uh, the 15 
constitutional court judges declared their personal disagreement with the uh, court's decision. So in a way, the, the decision itself had a lot of internal problems, but also the decision was made with conflict of interest among judges. And so, since there is a regime of secrecy about the distribution of votes, we, we can only guess who had those uh, conflict of interests. Finally, the decision lay, led uh, to certain political and criminal change in Ukraine. First of all, about 200 criminal investigations on charges of corruption were closed, mainly by anti-corruption prosecution office and by uh, National Bureau to fight corruption. There was a closure of e-assets declaration system run by the agency to prevent corruption. And there, there are obstacles for functioning of recently created anti-corruption institutions, but also there is a problem for newly elected officials in the local elections to enter into their posts because they have to enter their declarations into the e-assets declaration system. The decision was immediately sharply criticized by President Zelensky administration, anti-corruption NGOs, and G7 embassies. President Zelensky initiated the meeting of National Security Council that supported presidential will, well, that supported presidential will to dismiss uh, the constitutional court judges who voted for the decision and return uh, for the return of anti-corruption institutions back to their usual work. Simultaneously, the cabinet of ministers has issued a document ordering agency for prevention of corruption to open access uh, of the assets declaration system. And uh, President Zelensky submitted draft law to the RADA stipulating dismissal of constitutional court and declaring its decision on corruption prevention law also dismissed. Head of constitutional court was called for interrogation to the State Bureau of Investigations. And also there are a lot of media outlets publishing documents that the chair of constitutional court owns a land in the next Crimea. So the compromise war started also. Uh, several hours and days later, the Council of Europe's Venice Commission, Democracy Through the Rule of Law, and a number of legal experts and politicians made statements in defense of constitutional court. Constitutional court decisions, according to uh, our uh, constitution, cannot be overruled. And constitutional courts commission immunity, uh, constitutional courts immunity should be respected. Executive branch should not put political pressure on the judges of constitutional court. Also, the change of constitutional court members should be done in accord with the constitution and laws, not through the uh, sort of decrees or ad hoc decrees. And finally, presidential draft law uh, as experts say, contradicts constitution and may create legal grounds for impeachment. And of course, opposition was already discussing the possibilities for the impeachment of President Zelensky. Well, basically Ukraine has entered into November this year with constitutional courts, court with questioned legitimacy and reputation with executive branch being in open conflict with judiciary branch of power, with legal problems for activities of anti-corruption institutions 
and with problematic beginning for the work of uh, local administrations for newly elected uh, leaders of, lo of local uh, governments. And at the same time, up until today, 10 years after elections, we have no final results in the vast majority of administrative units. Uh, pre preliminary results are indeed unfavorable for uh, President Zelensky and his team. So we also witnessed a historically lowest attendance, less than 37% of registered voter voters did not come. And the uh, sociological polls, which seems to be much uh, better in Ukraine than in some other developed democracies, they show that uh, Ukrainian voters did not show up, not necessarily because of the COVID epidemic, but also because they either felt that the new uh, electoral system, proportional system is too difficult, or they didn't have uh, enough time, or they didn't have their own, uh, the, the, the personality or the party they would like to support. So far, the distribution of the votes that we know about is saying that presidential party received approximately 20% across the country from 22 to 15 in oblast councils. So this major achievement of, of the presidential party. However, East and West divide seems to re return in Ukraine. Uh, we have Petro Poroshenko's European Solidarity Party winning in Western Oblasts and opposition platform support in Southeastern Oblasts make this political party, this part of opposition very influential at local level. They both received approximately 14 to 15% in uh, big cities and in Oblasts. Uh, councils. And also we witnessed the establishment of new political force, local parties that belong to local mayors or local uh, clans, uh, and they established control over city councils of the biggest cities. And these new parties are not necessarily loyal to central government, especially in times of COVID-19 quarantine. So basically here is this strange combination of political and constitutional crisis and the uh, local elections without defined, uh, defined results. Thank you. Thank you very much, Misha. Uh, Ukraine is always interesting and uh, your talk just highlighted uh, all the ways in which uh, Ukraine remains a very interesting and changing political dynamic. Uh, we're now going to hear from Dr. Vida Dumanska. Uh, she is the CEO of Chesna Movement, which is the leading political watchdog organization in Ukraine. Uh, she has over 14 years of professional experience in public campaign management, advocacy, and program development at non-governmental and international organizations. Uh, she previously worked at the Kiev School of Economics as a project manager. Uh, Vida, the floor is yours. Okay, um, hello everybody. I know that America counts vote in Trump's and Biden competition. Ukraine is also counting, despite the fact that our election were held like tw 20 days ago. So we're still in the process. I would like to share with you a recent update in Ukrainian electoral legislation. 
and its impact on political system. So the local election, as Misha told, were held on the newly amendment legislation. The electoral code was adopted uh, by previous developed uh, adopted by previous parliament, but the current parliament adopted crucial changes uh, one month before the start of the campaign. And these changes uh, were adopted like when negotiation between Zelensky party and like pro-Russian parliament parliamentary party. Uh, in the efforts of conducting the election reform simultaneously with the decentralization reform, many uh, legislative contradictions and gaps arose. So the rule of games were changing during the election campaign, even not one month ahead, but we had these changes while the campaigning was in the process. So the election system and regulation remain unclear for both for candidates and political parties, as well as for voters. So the most significant amendments of the election rules, they include the attempt to introduce party list proportional representation in the city with over 10,000 uh, voters. The mandatory requirement to, uh, to political parties on the minimal number of denominated candidates, it's my, it might be up to 80% of number seats in the council. And also in Ukraine, gender quota was introduced at 40% level. So it was mentioning that compliance with gender quota was obligatory only at the stage of candidates nomination, but not at their official registration. Chesna observed the fact that women haven't even agreed to run, but she was included in the party list. So we don't have official results yet, but we expect that more women will enter Ukrainian politics. For example, in the city of Lviv, representation of women in city council increased just by 1%. But in Kiev council, the faction of women rose by 10%. And also we observed that voters of nationalist party demonstrated the commitment not to support women, uh, women uh, since uh, it's the party of strong like male leadership. The open list that was quite innovation, like innovation of this campaign, they actually became a close in the practice. It happens because of the legislators who introduced the election quota and developed a complicated ballot. For example, according to the preliminary results, in Kyiv Council, only 5% of candidates achieved the quota percentage and they automatically received their mandate. Meanwhile, 65 candidates achieved the 25th quota uh, and uh, they went up in the list, but it doesn't mean they will be elected to, uh, at the councillors. So, in fact, the system works properly only for the parties with the high level of support, while it has worked for everyone. So, similarly, the complicated ballot did not enhance the candidate chance uh, to rise in the least base of uh, on voters choice. As a result, a number of uncounted ballots which were incorrectly filled in has significantly increased. And the, in some polling station, it was like 7%. That's quite, quite high. 
So because of weak political party structures, it was challenging to recruit the necessary number of nominated candidates in order to meet the minimal requirement introduced by electoral code. Alike, it was an obstacle for the parties to involve the women. Some of them, they were seeking for a woman in the Telegram store, I mean, Instagram stories and the vacancies website in their attempt to recruit female uh, candidates. Uh, as well, a new political system is oriented toward political parties with work on the development and, hence, and have strong party structures. However, political parties building is not a success story in Ukraine. So we have about 350 political parties. And according to the Chesno, more than half of parties have changed their names at least once since their registration. So it's demonstrated that political parties live during one election cycle and they are like short-term projects, which followed by the change of brand as well change of so-called owner. According to the new rules, the candidates could run for the election in only nominated by a political party. We use the term partization to describe the change in the nomination procedures. As a result, partization caused a massive launch of a regional party project, as Misha mentioned before. For instance, one third of mayors in city of oblast level uh, run for election using their own political, uh, political parties. And the majority of them won the first round of the election. So they won in the first round of the election. Uh, these chance enhance the decentralization processes and strengthens the tensions between Kiev and the region. Uh, the candidates nominated by Zelensky party for the mayor's position have no chance to win in any of big cities. So uh, overall party get from second to fourth uh, rank in the um, uh, council list. It means that servant of the people lose this uh, election. And the central authority released that in newly elected councils, their representatives will work in opposition. Uh, the president was actively involved in the agitation process. And uh, as Misha told before, we have these five questions from the president, which were uh, not recognized and not supported by the parliament, by the Central uh, Election Commission. President was running a campaign while we had the, while, while he had to work on international level and uh, on security policy. In particular, Ukraine didn't react timely on political situation on Belarus while he was uh, visiting regions with his um, political party. Uh, so uh, when it comes to financial aspect, we can claim that campaign was actually unlimited. We have limits in parliamentary campaign, but here we don't. So the election code imposed the limits on the donation made by physical person and forbids legal entities to find the campaign. But at the same time, the election code still has an obsolete procedure of making donation on the elect, uh, uh, election accounts. The parties could have, uh, uh, could have gone beyond the procedure of collecting the donation on their current accounts 
And since the regular report submission was postponed because of COVID, it was impossible to reveal the donors of the different political parties and inform citizens who actually um, finance the uh, political uh, party. Misha told that uh, constitutional crisis is focused uh, on declaration, but also here issue of party finance arise because the, the um, National Agency of Corruption, uh, Corruption Prevention uh, was taken from their function, even in terms of checking financial reports of political party. And today, head of the agency made a very interesting statement saying that the Constitutional Court took off all their um, uh, responsibilities and the only one which stays is to check uh, declaration of the judges because it's special regulation for that. So uh, my main con conclusions are the following. The election legislation needs to be improved to ensure that the next election are conducted more effectively and transparently. Second, the election demonstrated that the president and his party lost the voters' support. And third, Ukraine is on the edge of political crisis, which is deepened with constitutional crisis, and we should pay uh, attention on that. So that's all from my side. Thank you very much, Fita. Uh, before I turn to our final speaker, I just want to remind our audience that if you have questions, you can submit them by email to Kenan at wilsoncenter.org, via Twitter at Kenan Institute, or on our Facebook page. Please include your name and affiliation with these questions. Uh, so our final speaker this morning is Dr. Elena Lennon. She is an adjunct professor of political science and national security at the University of New Haven. Uh, her current research is focused on questions of political legitimacy, conflict management, and identity politics. Uh, she has, her work has appeared in numer numerous prominent journals, including Foreign Affairs, The National Interest, and Nationalities Paper, and she is a former Title VIII short-term scholar at the Kennan Institute. So, Elena, the floor is yours. All right, thank you so much, Will, um, and thank you everybody for joining us today. Uh, I know there's a lot going on, but as they say, uh, all politics is local politics, right? So it's, it's always timely to be talking about local elections. Um, so I'm going to try and build on um, what Vita and, and Misha have presented so far and um, securitize the conversation, if you will. Um, I'm going to try and offer um, some of my thoughts as to how the results of local elections map into the overall security situation in Ukraine. Um, I observed, unfortunately, I observed elections remotely this year. Last year, I observed presidential and parliamentary elections in Ukraine um, as part of the international observation mission, but due to COVID, um, unfortunately, I, I could only do a remote observation, so to say. Uh, but nonetheless, um, let me offer to add to what Misha and Vita have said, um, I want to offer th my main three observations. Um, one, I want to echo um, Misha in, in saying that uh, the servant of the People's Party, uh, by suffering general defeat in local elections and being unable to win a single uh, mayoral race or even a majority in any regional parliamentary or uh, uh, parliamentary city council, coupled with the constitutional crisis, the deadlock in Donbass, and little progress uh, of the trilateral contact group, it is pretty clear that it's not just Zelensky's administration that's in trouble, 
but the efficacy of Zelensky as a brand uh, or as a political project, if you will, has also been undermined and diminished. Um, in, in fact, Zelensky is, uh, seems to be playing a, a game of whack-a-mole, you know, quite literally, as there are multiple crises unraveling around him. And time and again, he has shown that his problem-solving instincts are reactive, authoritarian, and self-defeating. Um, and his main opponents uh, also revealed in the last um, uh, local elections, Oppositina Platforma Zajitya, Opposition Platform for Life, Opposition Poroshenko's Party European Solidarity, and uh, Yulia Tymoshenko's party, but Kevshina, uh, Fatherland, are exploiting his weaknesses to their own advantage. But to bring it back to local elections, the first thing that stands out to me is that uh, it's clear that Zelensky has not only lost the support of the people, uh, but also his sponsors, because um, you know the main, the, the usual suspects, uh, you know the, the oligarchs, uh, seem to be reinvesting into new brands and new faces and new political projects. Um, I think that um, you know, Zelensky made a mistake by declaring early on that he was only going to run, uh, he was only going to stay one term. Um, and that made him a lame duck you know, prematurely because he rode the waves of populism to get elected. Um, but it's clear that his you know, business leaders and, and um, powerful oligarchs are investing in other political projects, uh, not least in preparation for parliamentary elections. So to me, the last local elections uh, in large part uh, signified ways in which uh, parliamentary elections are being uh, mapped out and, and um, pre prepared, um, especially by looking at which parties the oligarchs, again, the usual suspects are likely to back. So on the one hand, as Vita said, there seems to be a great variety of parties, more than 350. But on the other hand, uh, they're not necessarily local parties per se, right? Uh, they are, again, there's significant funding behind some of these local projects uh, that are indicative of, uh, you know, the Kalamoyski, Akhmetov, some of the other powerful groups uh, investing in um, new faces and maximizing their levers of influence in, in, in local and regional governments with the idea in mind that um, you know, they will kind of cash in on, the, on that investment uh, in parliamentary elections, you know. Um, one of the obvious examples of a, a seemingly local party that has significant backing of um, national level politicians is, uh, you know, Mariupol's party, Blok Vadim Boychenko. Uh, Vadim Boychenko, who is the you know, mayor of Mariupol, uh, kind of uh, positioned his, his block as, as a local Mariupol party, um, and it is leading in uh, uh, Mariupol city council elections and, and um, you know, but Boychenko obviously is also leading in mayoral elections. Uh, but you know, the party enjoys significant backing of Renat Akhmetov, who uh, is a you know a regional and national player in elections, uh, formerly a proxy of uh, opposition platform. But now he's not necessarily uh, pro-Russia uh, per se. You know, he's pro-business, right? His main objective is to retain control of Mariupol uh, because of the Mariupol port. Um, so that way, you know, the, a local party of Mariupol is not necessarily local uh, in its agenda and its design. Um, you know, another example is, uh, of course, you know, everybody's interested in what Kalamoyski is up to. And I think the, the last local elections also showed that Kalamoyski is, is losing interest in Zelensky. Um, he seems uh, frustrated and disappointed in his ability to deliver. Uh, Zelensky, you know, again, uh, kind of served its purpose by, uh, you know, getting elected but uh, he hasn't really been able to deliver as much. 
So uh, the party that Klamuski is currently supporting Samay uh, Butnia for the future, uh, as Ukrainians affectionately call Maybach. Uh, you know, again, it's not seemingly regional party. It's, it's doing very well, in, in especially in, in Berlin uh, region. Um, and uh, you know, the, the mayor of Lutsk is currently a member of the party too. And, and the leader of, of Zamay Butnia is uh, Kalamoyski's uh, long-standing business partner. Uh, but again, it's, it's only uh, regional in its, and local in its appearance because uh, Kalamoyski is spreading his influence by um, investing in a variety of, of, of projects. So again, I, I just kind of want to address this illusion that, um, you know, that these parties are local because they, the usual suspects uh, are behind some of these efforts. Um, another reason local elections are a perfect opportunity to make smart investments in parliamentary elections is bec exactly because of decentralization reform. Um, uh, thanks to the reform, heads of these amalgamated territorial communities, the newly created communities, uh, ATCs, enjoy significant financial autonomy in local infrastructure development projects. Some of them uh, have existed you know, for more than a couple of years that you know, they have amalgamated um, early on. So now they have moved on, moved past incidental projects such as you know, trash disposal, uh, road repairs, and have actually started a long-term infrastructure development projects such as emergency management services, um, you know, schools, reconstruction programs, um, and things of that nature. So local leaders are now ascribed more legitimacy in the eyes of their constituents than national leaders because of their ability to deliver um, uh, on, on, on their promises uh, because of all the funding that's available to them right now. So this is classic performance-based legitimacy, right? Which is quite common in Ukrainian political culture where voters ascribe legitimacy to anyone who will deliver public services. And of course, the, the big front runners, the, the mainstream parties are wise to want to be associated with those success stories at local levels so that they, they can convert them um, and instrumentalize those success stories into personal victories in parliamentary elections. Uh, the second takeaway for me um, in, in this last local elections was that in a way, as, and that's kind of what, what Misha alluded to earlier, um, local elections signified a return to normal political dynamics in Ukraine, namely political polarization along regional lines. Uh, that unprecedented unity that Zelensky demonstrated a year ago that transcended regional borders and regional lines and defined his candidacy and his political phenomenon has worn off. And we're now seeing a return uh, to sort of normal regional polarization um, that had existed in Ukraine prior to that, especially um, as, as they're manifested in, in the juxtaposition of the opposition party, uh, you know, uh, opposition platform for life and uh, Poroshenko's party, uh, European solidarity as being sort of two uh, vectors of that regional polarization. Um, however, regionalism and regional privileges in the current political environment are much more threatening to Ukraine's national security. Uh, and to that end, I think decentralization and local elections that uh, marked the completion of the decentralization reform is one of the most important and critical reforms uh, uh, for Ukraine's national security. And Zelensky can take partial credit for that because it can actually mitigate regional cleavages. Um, and that is due to the fact that these amalgamated territorial communities, ATCs, we're given a rather wide mandate uh, for fund management and revenue administration 
uh, and money flows directly from Kiev, bypassing uh, Rayone districts and uh, oblasts, uh, regions. And it has allowed local self-governing bodies to further decouple from the power vertical established by districts and, and regions. And in doing so, um, decentralization uh, reduced the political leverage and corruption previously concentrated in regional centers. So now that, that influence and leverage is spread um, across these amalgamated territorial communities. And I think that accomplishes a couple of things. Uh, one, denying oblast uh, regional governments direct control of local communities um, uh, undermines uh, regional mobilization or makes regional mobilization more challenging. And that is a dynamic that can be potentially uh, threatening in Ukraine's uh, security environment as we saw in 2014 when large regional centers like Kharkiv and Odessa had uh, significant anti-government movements emerging both organically and with the help of Russian instigators and uh, um, various other proxies. So the bottom line is uh, decentralization has moved the center of gravity, if you will, from regions back to Kiev. And in that aspect, it is likely to prevent further fracturing uh, along regional lines and facilitate better social cohesion and unity. Um, and along, along those lines, um, decentralization and the uh, local elections that completed that process have created a new social contract between local companies, citizens, and self-governing bodies. Um, and thanks to this new tax-raising powers that uh, amalgamated territorial communities now enjoy, uh, local governments now have more incentives to work with local businesses uh, to retain and attract businesses and work harder to improve business and investment climate in their communities, uh, you know, thereby uh, improving social cohesion and, and um, writing a new social contract. Um, and you know, I think that we would be remiss if we, couldn't, if we didn't mention uh, the, um, uh, the fact that the new election code also changed the voting procedure for internally displaced persons, allowing IDPs to vote uh, in their uh, de facto, the actual residence, as opposed to where they're officially registered, you know, Pratiska, um, IDPs for the first time were able to vote in local elections where they actually live. So that potentially enfranchised millions of voters um, you know, across the regions. And again, contributed to fostering stronger social cohesion um, in a you know, somewhat rather divided society. Um, so I mean, some people suggest that, so this new decentralization model will also allow Kiev to, to test run um, a uh, future reintegration of occupied territories. So this is gonna, gonna be a ready-made model when um, you know, occupied territories are to be reintegrated, they're just gonna fall into that scheme. I wouldn't go as far in, in my optimism for reintegration in the near future. Um, you know, after all, the, um, uh, there are several dimensions to the war in Donbass as, as it is a function of unresolved differences on the one hand between Russia and Ukraine and on the other between Russia and the West and, and they have irreconcilable views of the European security architecture. So we are unlikely to see a resolution anytime soon. Um, you know, after all, Russia's Ukraine policy, which includes the military intervention, is driven by the Kremlin's goals in Ukraine itself uh, that it sees as a local war and um, its desire to revise you know, Europe's security order. Uh, so it, there is a several problem sets there that needs to that need to be addressed, and and um, and, and that's why I don't think that reintegration is, is likely to happen anytime soon. 
Now, of course, we're, uh, the language of reintegration is going to appear um, time and again in various, um, uh, you know, in future prospects of Ukraine's uh, conflict resolution initiatives because international donors and various other stakeholders like seeing the word reintegration in Ukraine's future plans. Uh, it is, um, you know, it's important for soliciting funding and it's important sort of to, to, to keep um, your uh, you know, eyes on the prize. But um, the rhetorical emphasis on, on reintegration will, will persist. Um, but I think realistically, it, it perhaps may not happen um, soon. Um, and lastly, again, in closing uh, my remarks, I want to mention a few things about uh, Donbass, a region that I follow more closely. Um, as we know, in Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts, uh, people did not vote for uh, regional councils because uh, regional councils or the two regions are run by Viskovod Civilny Administratsiya, Vetsa uh, or Military Civil Administrations, MCA, since 2015. Um, and they report directly to uh, Joint Forces Command and the Commander-in-Chief himself. So the Central Election Commission, Commission canceled elections in 18 frontline communities uh, for security reasons, 10 in Donetsk and, and 8 in Luhansk. Um, now the decision to, it was very controversial, but decision was made both for physical security concerns and political uh, instability. Um, you know, these sort of military, military civil administrations, MCAs, uh, are particularly vulnerable to, uh, you know, the perception is that they're particularly vulnerable to Russian infiltration and disinformation campaigns, therefore uh, elections um, are not recommended. Um, it, it was definitely not geographical proximity uh, to the front line that determined the security risk. You know, for example, Severodonetsk, uh, which, is, um, which was not allowed to hold elections at any level, is about 35 miles, about an hour away drive from the line of contact. Um, and you know, the security risk was, was uh, considered too high. But Bakhmut, um, which is much closer to the line of contact, is about 14 miles from Zaitseve. Um, had election, held elections. Um, so it was not really a matter of geographical proximity. Uh, it was a very politically motivated decision that was based on uh, people's likelihood to, uh, the, the quality of candidates that people were likely to, uh, to support. In fact, a, a friend of mine um, is the head of one of the milita military civil administrations in, um, in the Donetsk region. And he, um, he told me that he recommended to the Central Election Commission that elections should not be held uh, in Zaitseve, um, you know, the, uh, one of the frontline cities, uh, territories, uh, because of his experience with parliamentary elections last year that um, kind of uh, brought to power that allowed, you know, various um, questionable candidates to, to get elected. Um, so, so it's just not a very, these sort of military civil administrations obviously are not the most democratic form of government, right? So these um, um, oblasts were set up or these administrations were set up as provisional governments um, because of political instability and economic um, deprivation caused by the war. Uh, but they're, they're working for now, there are temporary measures to prevent further Russian subversion across the line of contact. Now, uh, there's uh, various conversations going on right now, whether it is in fact um, not only undemocratic, but unconstitutional uh, for the two uh, regions of Luhansk and Donetsk to concentrate so much power in the hands of executive bodies that report directly to uh, commander in chief and or joint forces operations. 
Um, uh, it is, um, you know, the MCAs, this military civil administrations, they have all the power to appoint uh, executive heads of uh, 18 local councils, mayors, um, you know, they have unilateral authority to fire and hire people as they will. Um, so, you know, obviously they, they're, they could be run better um, and local residents are, you know, uh, not, not, you know, there's a lot of discontent, right, in the way um, Luhansk and, and Donetsk regions are singled out. In my opinion, you know, those, uh, that sort of form of government is warranted uh, right now as a temporary measure, but as we know, there's nothing more permanent than something temporary. Um, and I think because, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not likely to see a resolution to a reintegration of these territories anytime soon, um, these um, military civil administrations could benefit from some form of, uh, you know, democratic component to it, like an advisory council that's, that's, that consists of citizens, uh, residents of those areas, um, or perhaps formal mechanisms uh, for complaints uh, or other suggestions to allow uh, organizations, business leaders, um, you know, media outlets, political parties to formally report misconduct uh, by MCAs, uh, directly to the GFO, the Joint Forces Operations Headquarters. Uh, but, you know, for now, um, it is what it is. Again, um, uh, I, I, as, as temporary solutions, uh, they, they seem to be doing their job just fine, but it cannot be a long-term solution because it will create more uh, disenfranchisement and, and discontent among local populations in Donbass. And um, on that uh, less than positive note, I'll, I'll end and hand it back over to Will. Thank you so much, Elena, and thank you all our speakers. Uh, just a reminder for our guests, you can submit questions via email to kennan at wilsoncenter.org, via Twitter at Kennan Institute, or on our Facebook page. Well, there's just a whole lot of issues that these three uh, presentations raise. And I'm going to start with Misha and a kind of basic question. And that is, how did this question end up in front of the Constitutional Court? Is there a plaintiff? Are there a group of plaintiffs? Uh, was it submitted by the RADA? Uh, how did this issue uh, get presented uh, to the Ukrainian Constitutional Court? Oh, okay. Well, Will, the thing is that Ukrainian Constitutional Court cannot initiate uh, any hearing on its own will. So there's always some initiative group. It's usually either president or uh, over 45 MPs from the Rada. Or recently there was an, an introduction of civil call to the, uh, when a citizen can call to the uh, Constitutional Court. But in this case, it was a group of... Uh, MPs, and they were actually asking a little bit a different question, and the case is marginally connected with the decision. That's one of those reasons why the, the, the reaction of the public was very strong uh, to this decision. So basically, the motivations of constitutional uh, uh, court in this case are not really clear. And this raises a lot of doubts, uh, suspicions, and of course this, uh, this 
entire criticism of the Constitutional Court that suddenly combined President Zelensky and pro-Maidan anti-corruption movements and G7 embassies in one camp right now that criticizes uh, the Constitutional Court. That's, in a nutshell, that's the answer. Thank you, Misha. And, and um, a brief follow-up, what, what is the level of uh, protections for these constitutional court judges? I assume there's, they're there for a certain tenure in office, that they have immunity, um, and obviously that theoretically they can't be removed. So what are the protections? And well, is the constituency to rally around these protections, or is Zelensky entering into you know, some landmines by trying to undermine the independence of the court. Yeah, this is a tr tricky uh, situation. Uh, the thing is that these um, uh, judges are appointed for 10 years and there's no mechanism of calling them back. That's just not part of constitution or not part of legislation. Well, the, the, some of the constitutional lawyers in Ukraine, but also in uh, Europe uh, were suggesting that uh, the Constitution stipulates the principle that the, the body that appoints a constitutional judge can probably revoke him or her. Uh, in our case, there are three uh, groups of constitutional judges, uh, each consisting of six uh, judges. So one, uh, one group, six judges are appointed by president. Another group, six judges are appointed by uh, parliament. And the third group, uh, another group of six judges are appointed by the, uh, this supreme body of self-governance by judiciary. So all these uh, three bodies right now have their representatives. Instead of 18 judges, today we have only 15 appointed. Parliament did not appoint two, if I remember correctly and judges did not appoint one. But the, 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 the situation is unstable because uh, basically there's no mechanism, no constitutional mechanism or legal mechanism to change them. And president recently went to public uh, TV show where he made, made another series of very important statements. And he was using the argument that also the sacking of uh, President Yanukovych was not envisaged by constitution, but it will, was still done in February, 2014. So this time we also, he also is looking for political legal solution of the situation. However, it really creates the, the, uh, the ground for possible impeachment. The current law on impeachment that was approved under uh, President Zelensky and the majority of uh, pro-presidential majority last year is, again, here I would cite several uh, legal scholars saying that the, the, the law is of such, a, of such a strange quality, let's put it this way, that uh, the, the procedure of uh, impeachment is not realistic. It's described in a strange manner, so it's, it's hard to follow it, but still it can create a very strong pressure on president and undermine his rule. 
So in a way, uh, as Elena said it, it's self-defeating uh, strategy. It's not clear what it, why it was chosen, but it becomes deeper and deeper. And uh, with every step, with every offered solution, it looks like the, the crisis getting deeper. Uh, speaker of Rada uh, offered another way of dealing with the situation, sort of uh, consensus building, but it still has certain norms or solutions that are also not entirely in, uh, supported by constitution. Thank you, Misha. Um, I, for, for Vita, I have a question about your conclusions about the building of political parties. Was it the intention of this legislation to promote small regional parties or was it intended or anticipated that the big parties, uh, obviously identified with individuals, but whether the big parties would be able to create more kind of regional links or national parties with regional links um, and to strengthen the democratic process and political party building. Instead, what appears is that we've arrived at a more splintered political party system um, and new actors and smaller political parties. Okay, so thank you for a really interesting question. Uh, regarding the, you know, as I told at the beginning, uh, the uh, crucial changes to the code were adopted together with the, uh, sorry, my kid. So, um, crucial changes were adopted the Lensky party with close consultation with opposition platform for life and this new electoral code and electoral legislation were developed for those parties who have strong party system who have good regional branches and these parties succeeded in case uh, so that was the demand from opposition pla uh, platform for life so uh, this uh, legislation was good for them and the elections show that they were right at the beginning and Zelensky I don't know what they expected uh, maybe they would like to like they would like to feel that way uh, they, I'm so, so sorry. So uh, they would like, uh, they thought they were on the way, but actually Zelensky party, they didn't have any uh, regional organization or any regional branches. And they sent their MPs to the regions as like smatrashi, like to oversight the election, but they actually not developed the their own structure. And you were asking, uh, would they regional party transform for something bigger and go to the national level? You know, it's really hard question because as Elena said, that's not a regional, um, actually not a regional party. It's a, like that's political projects of, of the regional business. And I am not sure that they will transform in something bigger. We had one not very good uh, attempt of the so-called mayor's party to create nationwide platform that was called Propositia party. They uh, united only few strong mayors and they win the election, but they don't have capacity to run on the national level. And uh, basically a lot of this regional party, I think they will stay as a regional project 
without further um, like upcoming and bu building to the national uh, level. Sorry for my kids, they were like. <laughs> it's, 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 the it's the hazard of the Zoom age. I'm, I'm hoping my cats don't make an appearance, but uh, we're, 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 everything is successful so far. Um, Elena, you, you made this interesting comment that I, I was just thought that you could expand upon, that Zelensky is a brand. And so to what extent is Zelensky a politician? Um, and to what extent is he all show and no substance and just a brand? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, well, let's just say, well, first of all, up until last year, all Zelensky, you know, professional, you know, his professional affiliation was in the entertainment business, right? So to your question, uh, to what extent he's a politician, to what extent he's a showman, I think that proportionally, I think most of his experience comes from show business. And I think it's, it's quite uh, obvious now in, in the way his instincts, his professional problem solving instincts sometimes uh, where they take him because he uh, seems to default on um, you know, kind of show business and, and populism as opposed to a more pragmatic uh, you know, technocrat uh, style of decision-making. Um, and, and that's kind of really where incompetence manifests itself, where again, it, it worked, it's it did its trick and it worked its magic during elections in mobilizing um, you know, sort of nationwide electorate and, and uh, um, sort of creating this, uh, you know, Zelensky stood for hope I'm not quite sure what he stands for now. I think there is an identity crisis because uh, people are not sure what uh, you know the servant of the people stands for um, as, as in terms of their identity. Because again, they're, they're certainly not a party of hope uh, as much as they used to be given you know, the multiple mistakes that were made. Um, and as we're seeing right now, you know, multiple crises that are unraveling. Um, so I think in that way, Zelensky as a brand um, to me represented this party of hope. Um, and, and I think that is wearing off right now um, and, and there's nothing in its place. And then kind of show business populism becomes a sort of default place uh, that, uh, that Zelensky tends to, to go. Thank you, Elena. Uh, I'm going to go to our questions in one minute, but just to remind you, you can submit questions via email to Kenan at wilsoncenter.org, via Twitter at Kenan Institute, or on our Facebook page. Um, before, before I get to the questions, though, I, I, maybe Misha and Vita want to jump in on Zelensky, the brand. Um, is, is he damaged? Uh, to what extent is he damaged? And can he recover? Short answers because we have a lot of questions now. But I want everyone Maybe to get a chance. First. Maybe be Okay, uh, so uh, we, day after day we see uh, like bad steps of Zelensky, and it seems to be very unprofessional steps. And also we saw uh, we have seen already that his team has no strategic vision what to do, and I think he was most like. Uh, it was a brand with, without those um, like professional and um, 
you know, without this professional back and the, uh, like vision of the future. So he just was like successful, one of successful stories and he has nothing behind. And now, so in that way, I can explain what's going on right now. Well, in my opinion, uh, brand is a good metaphor to approach, but in a way, Zelensky is, as a phenomenon, as a political phenomenon, is non-professional, non-politician being a president. And he tries to continue it, but it has its own drawbacks. Well, lack of professionals around. So he himself could stay and remain at, at this position and promote this kind of behavior, but he would need professional politicians and administrators around, which is not the case. Even more, professionals are less and less eager to cooperate with administration right now because of permanent change of staff and lack of endorsement by presidential team of their own members. So it looks like this uh, issue with the cadres, issue with the staff is very, uh, is growing. And recent local elections has shown that even in the native city of uh, President Zelensky, he didn't have his own candidate. Basically, there's a candidate offered by the Renat Akhmetov Corporation and endorsed by president and presidential team. And it's a very strange situation when uh, right now, Mayor Vilkul, who is running for continuation of his post, and uh, the servant of the people candidate, who belonged to, used to be a one group, political ideological group, now compete with each other. And it's, it's going to be a very interesting case, what's going to happen in the second round in Krivirik, in the native city. But definitely, the, the Zelensky people are not entering into the power in local administrations. Thanks so much, everyone. Uh, a follow-up question from Mark Tem Temnitsky, uh, similar to my question, but he just wants to know uh, whether the results of the local elections translate to future political failures. In other words, can is, is there a path to, to recovery? Um, or is this really kind of a fatal blow the regional elections by themselves and and also the combination of the regional election results plus the constitutional crisis. So is there a road back to uh, president, for President Zelensky? And, well, and if I may start and then maybe someone would uh, pick up. Uh, here I would, uh, first of all, thank you, Mark, for this question. And uh, we expect to publish Mark's analysis of local elections early next week. But right now, I, I would say that uh, there's still uh, a possibility to go back for president since the draft law was not supported or endorsed by parliament. It's not yet voted. Uh, there's also an opportunity for calling the round table, the national uh, round table for different branches of power to come together and find the solution. Because here we have wrongdoings on all sides. And uh, that could be the, the, the way, uh, also strategic way for Ukraine. Because right now, Canon Institute is preparing publication of history of Ukraine. And there, one of the dimensions that this history can be described, and we try to, 
in one of the chapters. It's how Ukrainian constitution was not uh, implemented. So this clause, this article, and with time, it's more and more articles and norms that are not respected. There's definitely a, a huge need for Ukraine as a republic to restart its political regime and return to the constitutional order. Tita or Elena, uh, do you have any comments on that? I can, I mean, I, I can add my two cents. Um, I guess um, kind of to echo was what Misha said, um, I think President Zelensky's problem right now is that, um, you know, he can be solving constitutional crisis by breaking the, by violating the constitution, right? So it's a kind of vicious circle. But I think that, um, you know, he would be wise to fall back on rule of law um, and stop playing uh, sort of these populist uh, games by, um, you know, they're, they're you know, deeply authoritarian, whether, you know, the, the five questions that he introduced, these are sort of self-serving uh, populist measures that tend to promote his brand. Again, going back to, I think he, he really needs to de-emphasize uh, the show part of, of his brand and start emphasizing, uh, you know, pragmatic political solutions and play politics. Uh, unfortunately, the way politics you know, must be played in Ukraine is building bridges, forming coalitions, uh, you know, making political offers that other, uh, uh, other stakeholders cannot refuse. And, um, you know, as they say, you know, the, I think that the problem with um, uh, Zelensky right now and his problem solving mechanism is that, um, you know, he is trying to create a cure that is worse than the disease itself. And I know that phrase has acquired a different connotation since President Trump has said it so many times, but um, you know, the cure cannot be worse than the disease, right? So if we're trying to cure constitutional crisis, then the worst way to do it is by violating the constitution. Um, and I, I agree with uh, what you know, Vita and Misha said earlier is that um, you know, the, the brand has become toxic um, and it, it seems to be, um, it, it, there's a gridlock, right? Uh, but I, 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 I still have a little bit of hope that given that Zelensky still has four more years that he can recover from this by, um, again, building uh, a, a strong teams around him, um, relying on professional opinion, um, and de-emphasizing the uh, the entertainment aspect of, of uh, you know his uh, political choices, um, and really uh, forming coalitions in, in Ukraine. It's all about building coalitions with other political parties. Um, you know, those are the rules of the game. That's the only way to get things done. I can give just like few few. Small... Right, go ahead, Vita. Yeah, uh, what can I see? So uh, we have this political crisis, we have constitutional crisis, and probably next step might be parliamentary crisis, because when we had this mono mono coalition, now it's uh, actually dropped, and uh, uh, we see out of data with Chester monitors that they um, that they lost this majority and. Uh, uh, even this decision on constitutional court may divide the faction. So we can go deeply in the crisis and it would be really hard to survive for next four years as Elena told. So probably we will have preterm uh, elections and this in the air and this in this like today's Ukrainian discussions. Thank you all. Um, 
We have a couple questions related to us, the same theme uh, from Glenn Wright, who works on Ukraine projects for USAID and the World Bank. And um, Mike Kashishian at USAID. <clears throat> and they both have a similar question. Um, the whole idea was to, for these regional bodies uh, to have regional support so that they can work on local affairs and improve local self-government. And they're both such, uh, suggest surprise that the voter turnout was so low. Um, so to what extent was the low voter turnout uh, an indication that this reform, while again, very good on paper, as Misha talked about and others talked about, about the constitution, very good on paper, but the realization of it has not inspired the Ukrainian people to rally around these local institutions. Or quite frankly, is, is it just too early to, to make a judgment about these elections? Obviously, we don't even know most of the results. Um, local politics is always local and always confusing. Does it need time to sort itself out? So uh, Elena, Vita, and then Misha, if, if, all, if whoever wants to jump in first. Part and give some perspective of this slow turnover from my side. So one of the reasons it was COVID, I know somebody think that political issues uh, contribute more, but still, if we compare the turnover in different countries, which have an election right now, we can see this COVID influence. So first, that was COVID. Second was that the loss of trust to the like central government, to the politicians at all and also uh, difficult rules and people do not understand how to deal with that, with that vote, with the ballot, what to do, uh, should, I uh, should I check on the um, party or candidate. So these rules were not communicated well and people uh, were like afraid to do, um, to do something wrong. And also what we see that turnover was lower in the big cities and higher in these small cities and um, uh, village in, in the villages, because for them that was important. They have like uh, elections of the new, newly created communities, and for them that was important to have representative in the council from their own city or village, not from neighbor neighboring, and uh, also. Uh, people uh, in the uh, small communities, they know each other, they know the candidates, that's why it was easy to mobilize them uh, to come to the polling station and uh, vote. Thank you, Vita. Anyone else want to jump in on the low voter turnout? Hey. Uh, the thing is that the the, there was a long-term uh, tendency for lawyer uh, participation in local elections. So in a way, recently there were 40, uh, everything started like 30 years ago with 70% of populations participating in local elections and recently it dropped down below uh, 50. So I would not really use this law turn out as a as an assessment of uh, local uh, administration reform. Basically, this reform is one of the most successful ones. It has a lot of problems, issues, but it really 
brought back life into local communities. I know from my own village community that has got suddenly a lot of resources for revival of public life, of some uh, communal initiatives. And uh, you can literally feel how people, local citizens appreciate uh, this reform. However, when I talked to my parents and the neighbors, they were saying, oh yes, it's probably was a lawyer uh, turnout just because many uh, were not interested this time. Uh, also, there was a, a sociological group uh, rating uh, poll that showed that the biggest issue was like lack of interest, lack of interest. Also, there was a certain division between generations. The biggest participation in these elections was on behalf of uh, older generations, people older than 45, 50 years old, and only 11% of young people participated in these elections. In a way, Zelensky, even with the use of these five questions and the question of uh, marijuana, uh, did not provoke the youth to come to the ballots. Basically, uh, it's the uh, Zelensky's voters who did not go to vote. I would look rather to uh, the, these groups of voters. So Poroshenko and uh, opposition platform managed to bring their voters and the pro-presidential centrist voters remained at home for different reasons where uh, epidemic is one of those uh, important issues. So in a way, uh, this centrism, this radical centrism, as they call it, of uh, Zelensky team uh, does not involve their voters to vote, but it does not have a, an assessment, the, the meaning of assessment of the uh, local administration, uh, territorial and administrative reform. Alana. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Sorry about that. Um, I just wanted to just make a quick comment. Um, I, I, I think that emphasis on turnout has been a little bit exaggerated. I personally don't think that it, it's all that earth shattering and, and that it's that unusual for local elections to have a lower turnout. And then keep in mind, uh, there is a, a general election fatigue in Ukraine. Just last year, Ukraine had two rounds of presidential elections parliamentary elections. And then only a year later, you know, there's a new massive, uh, you know, local election with a new election code, uh, new parties, new rules. There's a, a lot of novelty um, and a lot of uh, expectations uh, for Ukrainian voters who are, you know, you know, obviously preoccupied with other mundane uh, concerns. And to put it in perspective, you know, in the United States, for example, you know, uh, the average uh, turnout for midterm elections, which are, you know, quite consequential, one would argue, uh, is about 40% at most. In fact, uh, up until 2018 midterm elections, you know, uh, during Trump's administration, uh, it was the first time that we saw a, a, a spike in the turnout in midterm elections, as you know, that are sort of parliamentary elections in, in the United States. Uh, but historically, about 30-40% is, on average, um, is the, the sort of typical turnout for regional elections. And I think Ukraine is, is uh, similar in that, in that way, um, because, you know, those types of elections tend to 
uh, naturally draw smaller crowds. And all things considered with COVID in the mix and in general election fatigue, or as uh, Volodymyr Dubovic says, there, there is a Ukraine fatigue in Ukraine. Uh, it's not Ukraine fatigue you know, internationally, there is a Ukraine fatigue in Ukraine itself. Um, so I, I wouldn't really uh, make, you know, I wouldn't really emphasize the low turnout as something that is necessarily indicative of a larger uh, dynamic other than um, you know, those factors combined that are quite normal. Thank you, Elena. Uh, just a reminder, uh, if you want to submit a question, you can submit them via email to Kennan at wilsoncenter.org, via Twitter at Kennan Institute, or on our Facebook page. Our next question comes from Clifford Bond. Uh, Ukraine Invest has indicated that it will be selecting three regions to work with them on improving the business climate um, and foreign direct investment. Which level of government might take the lead on these business uh, issues? Uh, the AOT, the Rion, or Oblast level? That's a very technical question, but uh, anyone have an answer? Well, I would try. Um, I, I would look at the level of uh, local council, uh, city council, big city council, or middle level city council, because in reality, Oblast council has quite quite a limited uh, influence on the real uh, situation. And also the personality of mayor plays a very significant role. So the combination of mayor and his support by local community, by, by local council, that would create some more or less stable conditions for beneficial investment. That's my take on it. Thanks. Um, Another question about the, the vote, and this is a question about Zelensky's five questions. Um, they seem to have been rather uh, a distraction, as it were. Um, and I'm wondering, from your perspective, why he proposed these five questions. Um, there weren't any kind of legal consequences from these five questions. Um, and was it kind of a distraction or a source of confusion uh, during these elections. So uh, I can try to answer this question, uh, that question. Uh, you see that uh, I've considered this as a, like mobiliza mobilization tool uh, to mobilize his voters to come to the polling station because some people were interested what is going on, how it looked like, what they ask, I would like to participate. So uh, it was to mobilize his voters. Even some sociological research showed that uh, this worked in that uh, case. But actually uh, this, why do we treat this like only mobilization tool? Uh, first, uh, it was not approved by the Central Commission, Electoral Commission, and the Parliament. Second, there is no methodology behind it. Third, there is no uh, understanding who paid for that because uh, it was quite expensive, uh, quite expensive stuff. And also, uh, we don't 
need we don't understand how the results of this polling will be used because uh, i think that they have just all this short time to take to bring the voters to the polling station and maybe to cover uh, other gaps which Zelensky may face in the future for example if uh, he he had a lot of uh, um, negative communication uh, in line with the crisis in Donbass when he in introduced folk into this uh, Minsk group and it caused like people were really unhappy and now he can cover for example I have a question I raised the question where people support reintegration of Donbass and some economical measure for that so he trying to maybe to use the answer in the future for his uh, own uh, PR but it was like mobilization technique from my side. If I may, also in support of uh, Vita's uh, understanding, it looks like all these five questions were aiming at two different five voters groups that could actually provoke them to come to polling stations and also participate in this uh, questioning. So in a way, as a marketing uh, instrument, it could have worked. However, it wasn't working, but created a lot of issues for the presidential team. I'm sure that it was very unwise uh, to come up with, with this kind of instruments. And it, it created a situation that adds to the political uh, crisis that we currently have. Thank you. Misha, um, we've talked about the role of prominent politicians. We've talked about the potential role and the role of oligarchs. Uh, the one player that we haven't talked about in this crisis, both the constitutional crisis and the restoration of regional self-government is civil society. Now, obviously there's not one uh, one focus or one spokesperson for civil society, but at various times, civil society, this amorphous but very important player, has played the determinative role in Ukrainian politics. So I'm curious, um, is, was civil society mobilized for these regional elections? And how does this constitutional crisis plays for civil society? Obviously, if civil society has backed the rule of law and legality, um, no matter which side you're supporting, um, this is not a step towards rule of law and legality. So if anyone can talk about the role of civil society, uh, either in the regional elections or in this upcoming crisis uh, on the constitution. As a representative of civil society, probably uh, I can start. You know, um, civil society reacted quite quickly on the constitutional crisis, and uh, the organization made a, state, a statement uh, right after the decision on electronic declaration. So people were mobilized and do understand uh, all the threats and risk connected to that decision. Also, I would like to say that, that there are uh, that society, civil society was not, not united because we have different uh, organizations inside have different opinion on how to solve this crisis. And it was like uh, some, uh, some supported the uh, law 
submitted by Zelensky and other part told that it's not constitutional decision. So some kind of compromise was find that find it that NGOs decided to make a statement and uh, appeal to the constitutional court uh, judges and ask them to uh, to to go off from the constitutional court. But I don't know how it how it worked. But today I just read news in uh, Ukrainska Pravda. It says that uh, those judges who voted for cancellation of electronic declarations, uh, they uh, decided not, uh, they decided to temporarily stop their work in constitutional court because they are unhappy that uh, um, draft of the decision on land issue became public. So they are afraid of public uh, pressure. Uh, I am pretty happy that civil society is active in that case, that they can mobilize people. For example, they had this big, uh, one of the biggest action, street action uh, in front of uh, constitutional court. But still we have to remember that suggested solution have to be constitutional because we may create a bad precedent. Thank you, Vita, for those thoughtful comments. Again, as a representative of civil society, I think that um, we should be reminded that uh, the Ukraine's uh, foreign policy vector is that with, you know, in the direction of the European Union, and that uh, the, national security, the national security strategy of Ukraine makes it very clear and explicit that uh, EU and NATO uh, membership are the vectors of Ukraine's foreign policy. Um, you know, why am I bringing this up? I, uh, it, it's important to realize that uh, the development of civil society is one of the expectations of uh, uh, European and other Western uh, donors and sponsors uh, because Ukraine continues a sort of pursuit of EU integration and uh, a part of that uh, ambition is commitment to harmonizing its institutional infrastructure with the EU standards. Um, and the role of the civil society is critical to that institutional infrastructure to be in line with how other European nations do it and, and, how, and the emphasis that they place on civil society. So I think we're going to see uh, sort of continued uh, uh, prospering of the civil society and emphasis on civil society uh, because, again, uh, Ukraine's official vectors of foreign policy are EU and NATO integration. And without, by giving up on civil society, that would just be, uh, you know, the last nail in the coffin. Um, and, and, and that would be extremely unwise. And I think Zelensky knows it very well. Um, and the, the, the role and the work of civil society, in my opinion, right now is, is really keeping the country afloat um, and, and uh, you know, it, it's survival at the moment. Um, we're coming to the end of our discussion. Uh, so um, I just want to thank all of our speakers. Um, if you have any short final word, you can jump in now, but um, just see, see if uh, any, any final final points or discussion for discussion? Yes, I would like to say uh, again to thank my colleagues and to thank to the attention of our audience. And I would say that local elections, in spite of law turnout, proved to be a living democracy with 
uh, a lot of issues. I, I, in the beginning, I told that we passed the system in many ways. And this is the system, electoral system, needs to be rearranged and uh, changed. However, it was a very important example of living democracy. And I'm happy that it's moving on and uh, that also civil society organizations were participating actively. It's not only Chesno, there was also Opora, many local um, initiative organizations that show that the spirit of uh, genius, like uh, local, uh, local democracy is there. And uh, I'm sure that after COVID, after these difficult times, that will local communities and regions will be the points of growth for uh, Ukrainian economy and Ukrainian political freedom. Thank you, Misha. I always like to end events on a positive and optimistic note, and you've provided that very succinctly and eloquently. So I want to thank again all our speakers, uh, thank you, our audience for your interesting questions, and we look forward to seeing you at future Kennan Institute events. Thanks so much.